I'm Hannah Young, and you're listening to The Caring Economy with Toby Isnick, sponsored by Philanthropic Impact. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Caring Economy with me, Toby Usnick. Today, I'm honored to have my friend, Kevin Williams, with us. He is the Chief Medical Officer for the Internal Medicine Area within the Biopharmaceutical Group at Pfizer, the major pioneering pharmaceutical company. He is also a man of many strengths. He is a sports fanatic, football guy. He is a humanitarian. He has been involved in LGBTQ advocacy for years, pioneering work around HIV AIDS and my friend. So I'm really grateful to have this half hour or so with him to go deeper and learn more. Welcome to The Caring Economy, Kevin Williams. Thank you so much, Toby. It's, it's great to be here with you today. I'm excited about the opportunity to talk a little bit about uh, my journey over the year um, and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Great. I mean, I'm chuckling because I think we've known each other since the early 90s. I, I know exactly when it's 1992 was the year we met. So this year will be 30 years. Happy anniversary, babe. <laughs> <laughs> Happy anniversary. <laughs> um, and so all these years, I mean, I've always enjoyed my time with you and our close set of friends, genuinely. And we like to tease each other as friends do. And we're proud of each other and our accomplishments. But wow, I mean, getting ready for this interview and looking at your, your CV, I got to know you even more. And I'd love you to, as an opener, sort of tell our listeners a, a brief sort of like a two or three minute uh, narrative of your professional journey from way back in Baton Rouge to today in yeah. New York City. And I think it's important to start with a couple of facts, a couple of little details in order to kind of frame my professional journey. Um, first, my father was the third African-American physician in Baton Rouge. He started in practice in 1952. And uh, a lot of my decisions around you know, the career that I wanted to follow was just watching him as I was growing up. Mm -hmm. um, second, I think it's also important uh, detail to know that I am openly gay. Uh, and that influenced a lot of my journey along the way. So uh, growing up in Louisiana was certainly challenging for a, a, a Black gay man in the 1960s and, and, and 70s. Mm -hmm. And when I decided uh, to go to medical school, the decision was to leave Louisiana. I felt like I needed to, to go somewhere further away where I could be my true authentic self. And so I moved to Los Angeles, went to UCLA for medical school and did a residency in internal medicine. And after I finished that, I was at a, a bit of a crossroads. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next. I knew that I didn't want to practice general internal medicine. I had always been interested in academia. And um, at the time I decided to do a fellowship in health services research and I got a master's in public health. Mm -hmm and was really set on spending my career just doing academic medicine. I was doing research looking at uh, access to care for HIV positive individuals and the impact of access and outcomes, mm -hmm. um, but something was missing. <clears throat> and so keep in mind, this was like the late eighties, early nineties. And, and I think what was missing is that I realized um, you know, that I really wanted to be a part of what was going on and in my community. When the AIDS epidemic was over, I wanted to be able to look back on the time and say, you know, that I've been down there in the trenches alongside my 
brothers and, mm -hmm. and fighting this disease. So, um, so I actually left an academic career after six months and went into private practice, I joined a small group and eventually uh, that merged with a larger group um, called Pacific Oaks, which you're yeah, very familiar Oaks. with. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, was in, in private practice for eight years, taking care of HIV and, and uh, AIDS patients during that time. And you know, really loved the work that I did then. And, and honestly would say that <clears throat> as much as I love what I'm doing now, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that some, um, uh, I, I feel like the work that I did when I was in practice, I'll probably never do anything more important in my life because mm -hmm. I was taking care of 20, 30, 40 year old who were dying, right? Yeah. At, at a time when they should be living and at the at the high points of their lives and you know just experiencing new things and and you know, careers developing and they're having to deal with with, with illness and death and mm -hmm. uh, so to be able to be a part of that and to help them on that journey was uh, very important to me so i did that for eight years and things changed in the world of hiv triple combination therapy came along patients thankfully got better mm -hmm. and i decided it was time for me to do something different. And I, I thought about going into healthcare policy. Um, I thought having, you know, this master's in public health and my health services research background, my medical degree was a nice package, but to round it out, I decided to go to law school. Overachiever that you are. <laughs> so I went to Boston. I moved to Boston from Los Angeles, went to Harvard for law school mm -hmm. and was there for three years. I graduated uh, and uh, decided that healthcare policy was not the route that I wanted to take and moved down to New York and began looking for opportunities. And this opportunity arose at Pfizer working in HIV. And one of the things I think that I realized in my time away from, uh, from Los Angeles and, and private practice was that I really was passionate about HIV and the opportunity to, to work in that area again was something that was really appealing to me. So I joined Pfizer uh, and have been with them for 18 years now and have been in various roles yeah. over the course of my time there. Time flies, 18 years. It seems like you just came east. I reflect very fondly on those years when you were at Pac Oak, because you would come out, so our listeners know, you would come east to, to summer at Fire Island. We'd meet there yeah. with mutual friends. And I, I really think that the horrible pandemic that HIV AIDS was, was a crucible that formed some really intense relationships, tight yeah. bonds. When you lose your mates like that, mm. um, it's, it's changes people. And I actually like to think that there's a silver lining, even with COVID now that, you know, the kids who are coming through this now, it will make them better, stronger, and um, more engaged citizens. That's my hope anyway. Um, but thank you for that, Kevin, because we had so many mutual friends who you worked with there at Pac Dan Bowers and Gary Cohen and and then mutual friends who passed. So um, yeah. thank you for your service above and beyond being a friend. Um, let me ask you point blank about Pfizer. And, I mean, I think it's a great brand. We have mutual <laughs> friends there like Sally Sussman who's been on the show. Um, some of my younger listeners worry about the role of big pharma and are they really friends or are they <laughs> the enemy? Do you, do you come across that in your global efforts of blowback or, or distrust? You know, it's a great question, Toby, and yeah, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start this by maybe telling a little bit about my journey to Pfizer, because sure. um, when I moved to New York and I began looking for opportunities, uh, joining the pharmaceutical industry was the last thing on my mind. In um, in medical school and residency, they 
they drill it into you that the pharmaceutical industry is the dark side. It's the evil <laughs> empire. No self-respecting physician would ever work for a pharmaceutical company. And, uh, and I'll admit that it was a big mental and emotional hurdle that I had to get over in order to join Pfizer. Had it not been that, you know, it was an opportunity to work in, in HIV, um, had it not been Pfizer, um, I don't know that I would have joined industry. But because the stars aligned and it was the right opportunity at the right time, I took a chance. And uh, I mean, obviously, I, I, I love the company and I love what I do because I've been there 18 years. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and I think you know, the pharmaceutical industry uh, gets a bad rap at times. And, you know, it's understandable. I mean, there are uh, challenges that, that happen in terms of, you know, the, the public perception around drug pricing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you look at things like the AIDS epidemic, you know, we went from having no treatments to basically turning this into a chronic disease within a matter of 20 years. I mean, that's all as a result of medicines that were developed by the pharmaceutical industry. But if you look at the COVID crisis, uh, Pfizer made a commitment early on at the beginning of the epidemic to say, we're gonna put all of our resources behind this so that we can bring a vaccine to the world to be able to treat this disease, to prevent this disease from, uh, from occurring. And uh, we marshaled all of our efforts to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the other thing that I, I think people don't realize about Pfizer uh, is that you know Pfizer does a tremendous amount of philanthropic work. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know that you know, corporate social responsibility is something that's very near and dear to you. And you know there's a tremendous amount of work that Pfizer does. And one of the things that I was most impressed about when I joined Pfizer was seeing all the work that we do, whether it is um, you know matching uh, grants for um, employees that contribute to nonprofit organizations fellows yeah, program yeah, that allows yeah that allows employees to travel to uh, underdeveloped parts of the world and provide services and participate in, in, in projects um, there's so much work you know, donating medicines I mean there, there's there's so much that Pfizer does that uh, we can't really we don't really publicize a lot because it's it, it sounds self-serving yes. um, yeah. But um, but there's a tremendous amount that we do to uh, for the for the global health of the world. Yeah, uh, and it it rings true, Kevin. I mean, I've seen it um, from the start of the pandemic. You guys were on it. You guys and gals continue to deliver and innovate as we get further along in solutions to the pandemic. Let's stick with that though and talk a little bit about uh, healthcare equity. And we can talk globally and we can also talk domestically. I wonder how, I know it's very dear to your heart. Um, how, do you, how do you work toward greater equity and healthcare access, both within Pfizer, say domestically, or you personally in your own group, and then maybe a little bit globally? Yeah, a lot of the work that we do begins with our purpose, all of the work that we do begins with our purpose. And our, and our purpose is delivering breakthroughs that change patients' lives. Uh, and uh, when I think about the health equity piece of that, it's really about delivering on that purpose you know, with a focus on the most vulnerable mm -hmm. populations out there. Um, I mean, our goal is better health for everyone everywhere. 
And so the way that we can help contribute to that is by focusing on issues that are uh, broader than just the drugs that we bring to market, but also really funding uh, efforts around health equity, around understanding healthcare disparities uh, and social determinants of health, you know, those non-medical factors mm-hmm. like education or social status or, you know, living arrangements or family that influence your health, but are not really disease related. Mm-hmm. So Pfizer funded a lot of programs, partnered with uh, community organizations, both um, in the U.S. and globally to fund programs that are focused on better understanding social determinants of health and, and, and their impact on healthcare and how we can improve them uh, in an effort to, uh, to improve the health of the, of the, of the world. Also uh, collaborated with, uh, at least on one occasion with, with Pfizer, around a UN uh, Sustainable Development Goal. Mm-hmm. And, and your embracing corporately of the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals is quite impressive. It's very <laughs> much not window dressing as I see it. You're focusing on those SDGs that are really very core to your business model. And so you engage in, I think, a really authentic and impactful way globally, partnering with, at least in this case, with the UN, but I'm sure you're also working with lots of other organizations. As the chief medical officer for the internal medicine group there and biopharmacy group, in the same vein of uh, equity and inclusion, let's talk about LGBTQ. As gay men and friends, we've been in that space for a long time. You, in this latest chapter of your life, are very involved with SAGE. Tell us a little bit about SAGE and your role there. SAGE is near and dear to my heart. Uh, I am currently co-chair of the board of directors. I've been on the board. I'm in my ninth year now. Um, SAGE is a national nonprofit organization that's focused on delivering services and advocacy for LGBTQ elders. You know, it's an organization that really envisions an equitable world in which LGBTQ older people um, have the opportunity to thrive and, uh, and, and their value. I became involved with SAGE a number of years ago after hearing some of the, the statistics around LGBT older people. And, and maybe just to, just to highlight a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so 34% of all LGBTQ elder adults fear having to go back in the closet when seeking senior housing. Mm-hmm. 48% of all LGBTQ uh, plus older uh, couples experience uh, adverse treatment when seeking senior housing. And nearly 60% of LGBTQ plus older adults report feeling a lack of companionship with more than 50% reporting feeling isolated from others. And you know, when I, when I heard those statistics for the first time, I was so struck and, and thought, you know, how sad that someone who has been able to live their life, their authentic self, Mm-hmm. Uh, through most of their adulthood, now as they reach the end of their life, have to go back into the closet. Um, it's not the way that the world should be, and mm-hmm. anything that I can do to address that and uh, to ensure that LGBTQ elders have opportunities and have the the chance to live full lives as they age, you know, I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm happy to do. I want to be there. I want to be a part of that. Well, we, we love supporting you as best we can with that. We're all 
stretched, but uh, I've really admired your leadership there. Uh, for our listeners, we should point out that the SAGE's URL is sageusa.org if anyone wants to check yes. it out their straight or lend support. Um, I, I wonder if, it's interesting, isn't it, that earlier in our careers, we were watching our friends dying and fearful, and now we have the luxury of actually worrying about them as they age. Right? It's kind of a silver lining, right, that we made it this It really far. is. It's really it really amazing. is. For those who have made it this far, it is uh, it is great. And so now we we owe a debt to them. I mean, because many and many of when you think about it, many of the LGBTQ elders now are the ones who were the pioneers, right? Even before the time of AIDS, at the time during the time of Stonewall. I mean, these are the people who were out and about and and you know marching for our rights uh, and. You know, now to be denied uh, that opportunity to to live fully is unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, what about I? I gave the URL with the USA.org in it, but is Sage Global? I actually don't know. Or are you focused domestically? Uh, so it is a um, it is a U.S. based organization, but uh, we do have international efforts. Uh, uh, they are. We started them a few years ago, um, and they're still in development. And they're in, they're selective, and you know the a couple of countries that we are are working with. Um, but over time, we really do hope to expand our efforts um, more internationally because there is a huge need. Yes. Well, I will give you a very public and open invitation right now to that point. Um, you know, my my day job is head of communications at the British Consulate here in New York. And uh, with uh, the prime minister's appointee, Lord Herbert, the LGBTQ um, designate, we are hosting in London this June, the UK government's largest ever convening period. And it's for a conference called Safe to Be Me. And we're inviting 160 nations around the world, legislatures primarily and NGO leaders, uh, activists to come and ensure that LGBTQ people globally can be safe to be who they are. Um, it's very exciting. It dovetails with the 50th anniversary of London Pride. It follows the New York Pride, which you know well. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum, Kevin. What about young people in your experience, both at Pfizer, but in the world today? Um, what makes you happy and inspired? And what makes you kind of wonder where things are headed with the next generation of leaders such as yourself? Um. Not to put you on the spot. <laughs> I have a lot of young colleagues. I say that carefully. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, I, I'm, I'm inspired by the, the passion of, uh, of the younger generation, the desire to be inclusive mm -hmm. and respectful of diverse uh, viewpoints uh, and diverse perspectives. Uh, you know, I think that we don't always do a good job. When I say we, I'm talking about us, us older people, thinking uh, broadly about people and putting ourselves in their shoes. And you know, one thing that I think that younger people do well is that they, they do do that. They try to understand someone's experience and perspective and not just assume that they are similar to the experiences that they've had. And um, being able to honor someone else's experiences is so important in, uh, in, this, in this world in which we live. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that's something I, you know, that I really admire. Yeah, I share that with you. I also think that um, they've had the good fortune of having, um, 
I would describe it as a, uh, a vocabulary to mm. understand and see the other. When we grew up yeah. as young men, there were no portrayals, yeah. perhaps in a, in a sort of covert way, there were portrayals of LGBTQ people, but yeah. there was certainly not an open and proud portrayal of LGBTQ. So we yeah. didn't know, I didn't know coming out what the, that there was a word that described who I was or to understand yeah. what was different. So now these younger folks have at least had the opportunity to see others and have a vocabulary to then go into that world with better, I think, empathy and understanding. So I, I share yeah. that perspective. Uh, as a black man, you've come up in the South as well, um, mm -hmm. 60s, mm -hmm. 70s. Uh, in what's been traditionally a fairly white uh, sector of healthcare, mm -hmm. uh, at least in the, the doctors. How has it changed for the better? How has it not changed any sort of aha moments or anything you would want our listeners to know or hear or reflect upon? I think change has been slow. We are certainly in a better place today than we were in the 60s and 70s, but you know, there's still a tremendous gap when you think about health equity between African-Americans and, you know, white population. And, you know, and it's not just in, you know, in health, but it's, you know, really in every sphere of, of life. And uh, so there's still a tremendous gap that exists that we need to continue to try to close. I think that we are slowly working towards that, but it's, it's challenging because, you know, we live in a, very polarized country mm -hmm. where change where change happens slowly mm -hmm. i hear you i agree so how do you keep so serene and calm and successful what, what are your so your tips to to others who want to follow in your footsteps do you meditate do you exercise <clears throat> I, I i learned a lesson it has stood me in good stead and it's it's not a secret i mean i think it's something that everybody probably knows intuitively, but being able to act on it is, uh, that's another story. And the lesson is to focus on what I can control and to not worry about those things that I can control. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that my life became much better once I was able to do that. I mean, I, I read a lot. I, mean, I was an English major in college and books, but I, but I, I like to read books on, uh, on, on leadership. And I think that helps me build my own personal philosophy of how I want to go through the world, how I want to inspire others or work with others. I don't know that I have any, any big, any big trick. A lot of it comes with being self-aware and you're kind of building that muscle. You know, I, I'm the kind of person who constantly ask myself why I do the things that I do. And I want to have an answer to that question uh, because I want to understand myself fully because the things that I do that are not serving me well, I want to be able to let them go. Yeah. Uh, and the things that I do that are moving in a positive direction, I want to double down on those things. So I'm, I'm constantly asking myself that question. Yeah, I share that, you know, the way the metaphor I use for that, Kevin, is I kind of liken it to uh, kneading dough. Like everything I do from this podcast to my work to my private time with Harlan is purposeful. It's all getting back to my effort to make a difference through daily discovery and adventure. So like, here's a great day of, you know, the purpose piece, but also 
I'm going on an adventure with my pal, Kevin, who I've never yeah. really gone deep with you on this important stuff, such as your work, HIV AIDS and Pfizer. So, um, so I share that with you. And I think, as you say, it's a, it's a discipline, it's a muscle, it's a practice, not really a point of arrival. Would you agree? I completely agree. Completely yeah. agree. Well, it's working doc. <laughs> <laughs> We're leaving a really great wake, I have to say. Again, ladies and gentlemen, today we've got uh, Kevin Williams with us. He's the chief medical officer at the major, major global pharma, Pfizer, in their internal medicine um, area within the bioscience. All right, uh, Dr. Kevin Williams, I'm going to let you have the last word here on the caring economy today. Any words of inspiration or reflections about the role of business, society, or anything? Over to you. I'm going to finish with a, with a story. It's a story that my, 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 my father told me, you know, when I was a, a kid and it has always stuck with me. He told me the story about uh, a time when he and a fellow classmate were talking and the, the classmate said to him, he said, you know, I, um, I, I don't know how I'm going to make it through medical school. It's so hard. And I just worry so much that I, I'm going to fail. And, you know, whenever I feel that way, I, I go into the medical school and along a hall, if you go to any medical school, you'll see this, they have the uh, class photos of all the graduating classes um, along the hall. And so my father's classmate said, whenever I feel that I'm gonna fail, I go and I look at all those pictures on the wall and I say to myself, I know that I'm going to make it because there's got to be somebody up there who's dumber than me. (laughs) Always in life, right? But that's the beauty of life. That's one of the things I love about New York, by the way, is no matter who the biggest cheese is coming around the corner, there's always going to be someone else who can top them on whatever the measure, right? Those are words of wisdom from your father, another doctor. Let's give a quick shout out to your mom, though. Tell us about her, and then I'll let you go. All right. What was mom's role in your life? Uh, She was the the rock of the family, as often mothers are. Her job was to uh, take care of me and my sister. I mean, she was a uh, a housewife, but she was also my father's uh, uh, bill collector. Uh, she did all the billing and, and kept the books for, for his practice uh, and worked from home. She was also very active in the community, uh, belonged to a number of uh, civic organizations, Black civic organizations, links out uh, African-American woman's organization that does charitable civic <clears throat> work. Shazen was a very powerful influence in my life. I mean, you know, I was very fortunate um, because I had parents who provided a really uh, stable environment. And despite all the stuff that was going on around me, all the noise and all the challenges of being, uh, you know, a black child in the 60s in the deep South, they made my life very normal. In fact, I used to uh, say, and I said this to my sister many years ago, I said, our, our parents uh, did us a disservice because they made life look so easy and life isn't easy. Right, yeah. And it also gave you love, which got you through all that. But it worked that you went out and you you spread that sort of love and, and wealth, so to speak. So. Thank you again, ladies and gentlemen. Today, we've had Dr. Kevin Williams on. He is the Chief Medical Officer for Internal Medicine and the Biopharmaceutical Group at Pfizer. Thank you again, Dr. Kevin.
Thanks, Toby. Thank you for listening to The Caring Economy with Toby Usnick. Please share your comments and questions with Toby via Twitter at TUSNIC or LinkedIn at Toby Usnick. And thank you for sharing The Caring Economy with your friends and colleagues.